All right, I'm going to, this kind of started, this was kind of sparked at our last meeting. Uh, Dawn Danny actually was talking about uh, children's church. We were talking about how we want to do children's church and curriculum and what that looks like in the, in the light of, of New Covenant Christianity and understand the finished work of, of Jesus and grace. And, you know, a lot of the curriculum you find has a lot of hooks in it, right? It has a lot of, you know, get right or get burned and you scare a bunch of kids into saying some words and they don't even know what's going on. So we want to make sure that we cultivate a life in our kids, not just rules and regulations. Now, kids are different, not much different than adults. Some of them are a lot sharper than some adults I know, but uh, not you guys, just other adults. But, uh, but, some, but, but with kids, I, I don't want them to have to unlearn a lot of things that we had to unlearn, right? So we had this discussion about it, and we started talking about Bible stories, and, and Dawn was saying, well, you know, some of the kids don't even know basic, like some of them don't know basic Bible stories. We want to make sure we know the stories. And I said, yeah, so we do, but I, I want to make sure that they know the heart behind the stories and through Christ, through Jesus' lenses. And we, I mean, we all agree on it, but we're trying to figure out creative ways to engage them. We talked about doing little videos and getting the teens involved. And lots of cool stuff is happening even within our church to make sure that, you know, our kids understand the love of Christ and what that looks like even from a, a young age. Um, so by the time they get to youth and, and on, it's much easier for them to understand how good God is. And, and when they don't have to untangle a lot of crazy, crazy religious stuff that gets put on them. Um, so by doing that, I, I started going back to a lot of the Old Testament stories. And I've, I avoided them for years because they were just complicated and scary and weird. And, you know, if you've ever read some of the Old Testament stories, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, his daughter. Whoa. <laughs> you know, there's just like a lot of weird stuff in there. So it's like, okay. What does this look like? And what helped me with this is several years back, well, way, golly, I'm so old, way long time ago when we started having little, little kids, we got, somebody recommended the Jesus Storybook Bible. Have y'all ever seen it? Yeah. What an awesome thing. If you have little kids, get the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's awesome. What it does is it, it, it looks at, it gives you a, a, a Christocentric hermeneutic. It gives you a Christ-centered understanding of, of the Bible. And it shows you all the types and shadows of the Old Testament that were pointing towards Christ all the way from the beginning, all the way through. Um, and we even had a, we had a conversation this morning about the same thing, just seeing Christ through the, through the whole Bible. And it's, it's very important, I think, to see Christ from beginning to end. And it's also much easier to read when you understand that. A lot of those stories come to light. They're not just little good moral teachings that we can teach our kids so that they behave, right? I had a discussion with somebody the other day. They were asking about Cajun folklore, and I'd forgotten about most of it, but they were watching some crime show in Louisiana somewhere, and there's a bunch of Cajuns on there. And she said, they were talking funny. It reminded me of you. I was like, I don't talk funny, but some of my family does. And uh, they said, have you, you know, have you heard of this myth mythological creature? And I was like, oh, yeah, they used to try to scare us with that to keep us in line, right? Well, I've got some Cajun people in here. We've got some Badans, and y'all know what I'm talking about. One of them, which was, I think, more more personal to us, is that when I lived with my grandparents, they would call her... Uh, Madame Grandois, which means, I think, Lady Big Finger, something like that. Madame Grandois, no, Big Nose, Dois, is Nose right? Um, and she was in the attic, and if you weren't, didn't behave, she was going to get you. And I was like, okay. I know, it's, it's, really, it's really scary. But <laughs> I know it sounds really mean, and it probably is, but I mean, it kept me in line sometimes because sometimes there, this big fan would kick on in the attic, and I would go, and it was loud. We lived in this old crummy house. It was like, and I was like, and she was like, that's what I'm going to want. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I didn't eat any cookies. I only ate the Fig Newtons. Anyway, so, I don't know. They always had Fig Newtons. We had figs too. We had a big fig thing. Is that a Cajun thing? We had figs in the backyard. I didn't even like figs. Anyway, 
So that was Madame Grandois, and it was scary. But it's funny, we kind of do that. We've done that in churches too, haven't we? We've taken some of these good biblical stories and we scared the mess out of kids with them. Like, you know, God's going to get you if you don't do this. God's watching you. Be careful of the lies what you see, or the God up above is going to squash you like a bug. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of the, the God we've represented to kids. We don't want to do that. We want to make sure they understand. That's not how the song goes. It's just the way we interpreted it. But we want, we want them to understand how good God is and that, that he is for them and that he has died to give them a new life, not just to make them feel horrible all the time. So in doing that, we've got to find where those boundaries are. You know, we still have to teach morals. We have to help them understand that don't do stupid things, right? I mean, kids need to know don't run out in traffic, little basic things. Sin is bad. You know, these are, these are basic things that kids need to, to understand. When doing so, I'm, I'm getting way off topic by going too far into the kid thing. Part of that is it's got me reading into a lot of the old, the old Testament stories, and I think it's important that we see them too, and we see Jesus in them. <clears throat> we see Jesus in them. Um, all right, I want to start with a couple questions. Has anyone in here felt insecure? Sure. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, I felt insecure yesterday. I'll tell you a quick story about me because I know my story. Um, we, we came to the yard sale. We kind of took the early shift, and then we left, and I met, uh, met Mike and Buddy. Not Buddy. Mike and Rocky, and uh, went to shoot some guns. I got a new gun after the whole incident the other day and uh, gave me an excuse to get a new gun. But I got a, a fairly inexpensive gun. It's a name brand that's not... You know, it's not like, hey, man, check out this cool, you know, if you're a gun guy. You don't really look at it as a really cool gun or whatever, but it's a, it's, I read a bunch of reviews. It's a really good, supposed to be dependable gun. Got it, and I went to shoot, and, and Mike is a gun guy. He's a cool gun guy, and I get there, and I've got, you know, I thought I was pretty cool because I got a pretty good bit of ammo because I wanted to break this gun in. You have to shoot so many rounds through it, and Mike shows up with an AR-15 on his back, two, two things and, like, eight pistols, and I'm like, oh, I feel, like, this big right now, <laughs> like, and, and he... You know, like I'm into cars and I, I know cars and I can talk cars. Mike's into guns and, and he just completely like gun nerded out with these guys in there and I just felt like this big and they're talking about all these things and I'm like, I, I got like a Taurus. It's like a Ford Taurus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't brag about, look, check it out. I got this, you know, cheap gun. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and anyway, for a moment there, I was like, man, I'm, I feel kind of out of my element. Like I, I I'm kind of, I like to talk and like joke around with everybody. I was like, I don't even know what to say. I got, I got no words. And what was funny is we got in there and we started shooting. And when you shoot, you want to keep, I know a little bit, <laughs> just enough to make me sound like an idiot. I know a little bit you're supposed to keep, you know, uh, and I kept calling it a cluster. It's not a cluster. It's a, a grouping. <laughs> and I was making jokes about the cluster. I was like, oh, and I was picking on Mike. I was like, look, my cluster's better than yours or whatever. And, and, uh, and immediately I thought, why am I? Why am I compared? Like, immediately we compare ourselves to each other. Like, I'm trying to outdo him. You got all the big guns, but I shoot better than you. Like, Arr! you know? And then immediately I was convicted. I was like, that was a jerk move. And I was like, and so to try to recover, I was like, well, you're shooting a new gun. He had just got a really cool gun, <laughs> another really cool gun. And I was like, well, you're shooting a new gun. And I was trying to, like, recover. Like, I don't want to be a jerk. <laughs> to be fair, you're shooting a brand new gun. But what was cool is Mike's responsible was, well, so are you. I was like, you know what? You're right. I am sure. Like, I, I blessed you and you blessed me. You're right. We're both, oh, we're happy now. We're good. And so, uh, but man, I tell you what, when, when <laughs> this is, doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but I have to tell you because it was crazy. I've never shot a big gun like an AR-15 like that. And when you shoot a pistol and then there was a guy two rows over that had an AR-15, it sounded like a cannon. We had earmuffs on and you could feel it in your chest. It was like, go, 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 go. I was like, what is that cannon? This guy's got a cannon over there. Anyway. It was crazy. It was a lot of fun. I'd never shot a gun like that. Thank you for letting me shoot the big gun, too. It was really crazy. 
Um, but it was a lot of fun. I was going somewhere with that. Oh, comparing. Immediately when you're insecure, what do you do? What do you do when you're insecure? Huh? Slink and hide. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you shrink back, you slink and hide. What's another thing we do? We compare, right? Immediately begin to compare yourselves to other people. Why do we do that? Right, but we do it, right? <laughs> it's not smart, but we do it. When we're insecure, when, when, if we don't draw back, some of us draw back, and sometimes we draw back, but sometimes we begin to compare ourselves to each other, right? And we will begin to put each other down so that we feel better about ourselves. I know none of y'all do this, but I do. I mean, I, I caught myself doing it just with a good friend, you know? It's like, well, I'm, you know, and I know we pick at each other, and I'm not saying that I was just trying to do that, but in, there was a, and we can, here's the thing, we can make it seem like we're joking sometimes too, right? And you say, and I'll tell you, if you say you never have conflict, you never have arguments, if you're passive aggressive, you're arguing all the time. You may, <laughs> I'm gonna be careful with this, sorry, not sorry. If you, if you get more passive aggressive like that, um, it's, it's worse because you can't even address it because you, you do that so you can't be cornered with what you're actually saying. And we do that a lot with humor and sarcasm. And I have tons of humor and sarcasm, so I'm guilty of this too. I try not to do it. I try to be mindful of the people that I do it around so I know that, make sure that they don't take it the wrong way. And I'm pretty sure, you know, Mike wasn't, I hope he wasn't upset with me, but I think we were joking. But at the same time, I, I thought about it like that was, a, a, like immediately I was convicted, like that was a jerk move. Why'd you even say that? But we do that. We begin to break, break other people down so that we feel better about ourselves. Um, one, I want to tell you a story, but I got to, do we have a video? Did we, did we make it happen? Mike, you're the man. Not only does he have cool guns, he can make videos happen last minute. All right. This is a funny video I found. This is satire. So be prepared. This is satire. Um, wait. Okay, we're going to do it. Back it up, back it up. Okay, go ahead. To a great relationship is control. Control is the thread that keeps your relationship together. And we found that being passive aggressive is the best way to control your partner. <laughs> I thought we could do something together today. Maybe go to the beach? Not interested. Or we could stay in and watch a movie if the beach doesn't appeal to you. When Amber won't talk to me, she really helps me learn that I did something wrong. And because she won't tell me what I did that was wrong, deep down, I just assume that I'm simply wrong for who I am at the core of my being. When I give JP the cold shoulder, it's encouragement for him to be a better person because I don't really like who he is. Oh, thank you for cleaning the kitchen for once. JP shares so much gratitude with me through his snarky comments. And at the same time, he shames me a lot. He is so good at directly communicating his thoughts with me with misdirected shame. She deserves it. <laughs> I've decided I want to write a book. I'm so excited. You've never written anything before. So you're not going to get picked up by a publisher. <laughs> JP's criticisms of my ambitions reminds me that I'm not enough of a person to fulfill my own hopes and dreams. Yeah, Amber's dreams have no place in our relationship because they threaten my ability to control her. Oh, I feel so loved when you control me. Mm -hmm. Couples who control each other stay together. I've made it to the gym three times this week. That's really good. I didn't think you'd be able to get yourself to go at all. 
I use a compliment to slightly disguise my harsh criticism of Amber. And I have lots of it because I don't have any respect for her. And I don't have any respect for myself either. That's why I'm with JP. We're a perfect match. Oh, I talked to Drew this morning. He said he and Jillian are going to the Bahamas for a week. Well, maybe if you made more money, we could go on a trip like that. I have a lot of expectations that JP will never be able to meet. And he deserves the opportunity to feel hurt about not living up to my impossible standards. Amber feels empty inside because of her daddy issues from childhood. And I'd much rather have her hurt me rather than feeling her own hurt. And I think that by putting up with her emotional abuse, eventually I'll be able to rescue her. You're my knight in shining armor. (laughs) All right. Obviously that was satire, but... Listen, most, most of you laugh because you've seen something similar to that. And some of you have actually done it. I know I have. There's been times when I've done that to people. And it, <laughs> one of the examples that I always use uh, is, if you remember back in the day, this is probably date me too, um, when, and Walmart had a McDonald's in it, and not Walmart, the mall had a McDonald's in it, and it was on the corner, and they had like a, a little booth on the corner with windows, and you could sit in it. Do you all remember that at the mall? We used to sit there and people watch. Did anybody ever do that? We would people watch. Now, all we would do is we would sit there and people watch and we would compliment everybody that went by. <laughs> we would not compliment anybody. <laughs> we would make fun of everybody that went by. And I, we would actually like mimic like what they were saying to each other. <laughs> like from behind the glasses, they couldn't hear us. And we're like, rrr, rrr. But we would make fun of outfits and we were just, just being mean. Uh, honestly, just being jerks to people. But what, what I, I look back at that and I was like, all of that was, was just me being trying to be better than people, right? I know it's just joking, but at the same time, I mean, what are you doing? You're tearing people down. Even though they don't even know it, you're doing it around your friends and you're just, you're just building up, tearing other people down. What, how, is, how is any of that being, obviously that, that was before, uh, before I was born again and perfect, but no, <laughs> I haven't done it just because I don't have it in the mall anymore. I've done it in other ways, I'm sure. But just like that video, when when you begin to act like that, when you begin to act passive aggressively like that, you can't even deal with the issues because you're like, ah, I know you're being mean, but I don't even know how. I feel, I feel worse every time I'm around you. I don't even know why. Like, I can't even pinpoint it. I know that you're doing it, but it's just crushing me. So I think that, I think that when, we, when we feel insecure and begin to care, compare ourselves to each other, um, uh, Galatians 5.15 says it best. It says, if you bite into... If you, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And the verse right before that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if we compare ourselves to each other, how many billions of people are on this planet? Or what's, what's your end goal here? That you're going to be top dog? <laughs> you know, If you're tearing everyone else down to be better, and, and that's, the, that's the procedure that we use, I mean, how, how, how many people could you possibly tear down? En- enough, enough to not love your neighbor as yourself. We're pros, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and another thing an, another thing is some of the environments that I grew up in, I know personally, that, just like I said, the whole Madame Grandois thing, the whole parenting thing was a fear-based parenting. And, it, and I, don't, I don't just fault them. It's probably the way their parents taught them and their parents taught them. But when you're looking at that, and I, I, uh, I love someone brought it to my attention one time that it's like a picture being painted. That picture was painted for me at a young age. This is life. There was abuse. There was abandonment issues. There was daddy issues. There were 
all these issues, and this picture of life was painted for me. Now, it took years for me for that picture to be adjusted, and I would always go back to that picture and go, okay, no, this is how life is, and God would say, no, I've painted a different picture, right? And it takes a while to unlearn some of these things. It takes a while to realize that God is saying something different than what I've seen in my own life, right? This is, what this is where I want to get to. We're going we're to talk about Gideon. Do you all know the story of Gideon? Okay. Most of you know the story. I want to talk about it and, and kind of break it down and, and hopefully show you Christ in it. Now, you're, you're a part of the story, but it's really all based around Jesus. We're going to start in Judges 6.11. I'm going to go through the scripture and then I'm going to kind of talk about it a little bit and, and kind of explain it in the way that I see it to you. Uh, Judges 6.11, it says, the angel, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the, under the oak of Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, that belonged to uh, Joash, the, Ab I'm horrible with these, Abiezrite. Abiezrite? Sound good? We'll say Abby. Joash the Abby. Uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. Um, the Midianites were pursuing them, and it, it says several times that they were like this. You, you couldn't count their camels. They were like the sand of the seaside, seaside, and they looked like locusts. They were just coming and destroying all of their land, and Gideon was hiding in a crevasse, because that's what Bear Grylls calls it, a crevasse. And he was threshing wheat, and this is what you do when you thresh wheat, I guess, threshing wheat. He was threshing wheat, and he was hiding, and the angel of the Lord showed up, uh, and he appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now this is, Gideon is threshing wheat. He's hiding from his enemies. He is a farmer and he's threshing wheat. And the, Lord, and, and the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And what does Gideon say? Pardon me? <laughs> he's like, I'm Gideon, I'm Gideon the farmer. You just called me a mighty warrior. Me? You talking to me? All right. Pardon me, my Lord? <laughs> Pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian? That's a pretty bold statement for just, you know, a little farmer talking to an angel of the Lord. He's questioning, where are you? Where's this God? Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, Lord? <laughs> Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Right? This does sound like an insecure person. Very much so. Look, my clan's the weakest. My family is weak, and I am the least of them. <laughs> okay? Do you see where we are here? The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, let's... let's think about this. Let's let this play out here. Gideon is hiding from his enemy. They're, they're going around just destroying, ravishing things, and he is hiding somewhere, threshing wheat. He's a farmer. An angel of the Lord shows up and says, hey, Gideon, mighty warrior. <laughs> and he says, excuse me? First of all, he has, he has three important questions. He asks, why is this happening? Where is God? And how can I do it? These are three really important questions I think all of us ask ourselves at times. Why is this happening? Where is God? And how can I do it? These are three things that will keep a person insecure if they're scared to ask these questions. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in youth. 
It was really cool, and I, I encourage the kids, if you're wrestling with this stuff, if you're asking questions and frustrated at why God does what he does or where he is in your life and why you can't hear him and different things like that, that's a good place to be. Why is that a good place to be? Because you are, you are wrestling with something. You were talking to someone. You believe something. You're just trying to figure out what it is. You've not given up. You're just trying to figure it out. This is how Gideon is. It reminds me of, of uh, Martha. Remember Martha and Mary? And Martha was like telling Jesus what he need, telling God what he needed to do. I always think that's hilarious. It reminds me of one of my daughters that tells me that all the time. Dad, you need to do this. You need to tell her she needs to be punished. And Martha's like, uh, hey, Jesus, you need to tell her to come help me. <laughs> what? Who are you talking to? I'm talking to God of the universe. You need to tell her to come help me. This is Gideon saying, look, where are you? We've heard about you, but we haven't seen you. This, kind of, this reminds me of, of the testimony last week. We, we've heard about the things that you've done, but where have you been? I don't see you in, in all the issues that we're dealing with. These guys are running us down, and we're hiding in crevasses, <laughs> doing, doing wheat things, whatever. I don't even know how you shuck. What do you do with wheat? That's threshing? Okay. Not, not, like, not like a squirrel like I'm doing it? <laughs> oh, yeah? He's hiding, yeah. <laughs> yes. I just imagine, I just want to see Gideon doing this. Because, because he couldn't do it. Right. The way it's supposed to do. <laughs> oh, man. It's crevasse. All right. Um. All I can think about is Barry Grills saying crevasse. All right. We're going to fast forward. We're going to fast forward. Okay, this, huh? It's a ditch. It's a ditch. <laughs> There's usually, anyway, I digress. All right. Uh, we're going to move on. Yeah, a lot. We're going to move on to Judges 7, um, and we're going we're gonna to see how this all plays out. Now, most of you know the story of exactly what happens, but I want to I wanna point out some key things that I've overlooked in the story many times because all I think about is what? Trumpets, jars, right? Y'all know the story, right? Trumpets, jars, you know, the, the lapping, the water. You know the story, but let's, let's, let's look at some little key things that I think I've looked over before, or I know that I've looked over. Maybe you have too. Uh, we're in Judges 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. Uh, the camp of Midian was north of them and valley near the, uh, it doesn't matter. Those are just locations. Verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. <laughs> I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. That's, how, that's what they would say. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left <laughs> while 10,000 remained. I love how real the Bible is. They don't gloss over any of this. Hey, if anybody's scared, <laughs> they're all gone. <laughs> 22,000 men left. We're scared. We're out. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there is still too many men. I can imagine Gideon probably saying, this may not be recorded, but he's probably like, pardon me again? Pardon me? There's too many men? <laughs> I've got too many men? I just want to make sure I hear you correctly, because they're gone. And so he says, uh, so Gideon, uh, Lord looked at Gideon and said, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. Thanks. Appreciate that. If I say... Now, look at the, the terminology. It says, I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, 
he shall not go. Now think about this. This is God speaking to Gideon. Now something we even talked about in the yard sale yesterday. I just want to take a quick side note here. So I think Julie and I were talking. Yeah, it was me and Julie talking about it yesterday at the yard sale. How amazed I am still every time I think about, especially looking at the Old Testament stories, of how these guys, some great, great men of God, longed to be in the presence of God. And only a few could even taste that, and we get to have him all the time. Like, let that sink in. <laughs> it just amazes me. Even in these stories when God is speaking, they only got little bits and pieces, and we get all of him. It's, that's just an incredible thing to me. All right, side note. Um, <clears throat> so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like a dog. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will, I will, these are the key things that I think I looked over. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300. So, <laughs> this is the original 300. Uh, who, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. <laughs> they didn't take over the swords. They took over the trumpets and the provisions of others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in a valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp so he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Now listen to this. God recognizes that he's still scared. He says, if you're afraid, go do this. What does Gideon say? I am afraid. <laughs> I will listen. I'll go down, and we're going to go listen to what they're saying. Verse 12. Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Mennonite camp. Now, I have to stop there because as I was studying this this morning, uh, and Brian came in and we were joking around about this, I imagined this huge loaf of bread with, like, hands and feet, like, ah. <laughs> but what they're relating to is going back to that, where did God find him? He was threshing wheat, remember? This is, this is a sign showing that this is him. He's supposed to be there. He's called to do this. He's going to do it, and God's going to hand him over to him, right? It's because of gluten, because they, they were all allergic to gluten. <laughs> Go down, and they're allergic to gluten. All right. So, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the midnight camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of jo Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of them with torches inside. Listen to this, verse 17. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. What does that sound like? That's a farmer turned warrior. How bold is that statement he's saying? Look, you guys, watch me. This is not far from when he just said, my clan is weak and I am the least of them. 
Do you see the transition? When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow, blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men went with him, reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke their jars that they were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches with their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were, they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 21, while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their own swords. So basically they went around blowing trumpets and smashing jars, and all the Midianites killed themselves. Let's let this sink in a minute. What just happened here? What do you see, what do you see past just the story? This is, this is open conversation. Y'all can, y'all can speak. What do you see in the spirit past just a story of Gideon and God? What do you see? We see, of course, in most of these, we see the uh, enemy being a type and shadow of Satan. Evil turns on itself in the presence of God. Evil is by, by nature destructive. That is the, the nature of evil. So evil manifests fear. Mm-hmm. They were afraid before any of this. I mean, the... Fear, though, had no, there was a, a hopelessness that went with the fear. Uh, Midian was afraid, or I'm sorry, uh, Gideon, Gideon and Midian, they rhyme. You, you they probably, do rhyme. You can probably do something with that. <laughs> Gideon was afraid, but his hope was in God. Right. Midian was afraid, and they had no hope. Right. When you are hopeless, you will turn on yourself. And it is not the circumstances or even the fear, but the hope. Right. And so I, I look at, you know, who got sent away? The people who not only were afraid, but they had no hope. Because technically, Gideon should have left in the first wave because he said, I'm still afraid. Right, yeah. But he had hope in God. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Anybody else? What do y'all see? Don't be scared. It's always scary for me because you never know what people are going to say. Y'all don't need to be scared. (laughs) All right, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I see. I see Christ in this. Do you think Jesus was a fighter? I mean, do y'all see Jesus as a fighter? Let's let's, Let's go to one instance where we see Jesus as a fighter. John 18, 10. You don't have to turn there. It's a quick, I'm just going to go through two verses. This is when Simon Peter took the ear off. It says, Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Listen to this. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus was very much a fighter. He was just fighting a different battle. He knew what he was going to do. He knew where he had to go. Even Jesus struggled with it and said, Lord, if there is any other way, let's, let's do that. <laughs> but if not, not my will, but your be done, yours be done. Why? He knew the battle that he had to fight, and it wasn't with swords. To me, this whole Gideon story is all types and shadows of Jesus, all of it. Because Gideon was just there. 
All he did was listen. All the I am's, I don't know if you caught them all. I didn't emphasize every single one of them. But there were I am's through that whole story. God said, I will do this. I am doing this. I will take care of this for you. You will defeat him, but I'm going to do this. I am. Our battle is, and we know this, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and heavenly realms. Why is that? Because that has already happened. <laughs> the enemy has already been defeated. The fight has been won. So where does that leave us? Does that make us complacent now? Let's look at the story of Gideon. No, it doesn't make us complacent at all. I love this. I love this. All we do is listen to what God says, and we get to live this awesome life, and our enemies are defeated right in front of us. And you know your enemies, right? They're not people. This is a type and shadow, right? Sin, death, and hell. All, these, all the things that we deal with, anxiety, discouragement, insecurities, right? All these things are your enemies, and they're defeated right in front of you with little to no effort from yourself. I mean, you may have to blow a trumpet or a gazoo and crash or something. All you have to do is be with God and have hope in him. I know this seems very simplistic, but this is life with Christ. Walking, talking, moving with the Holy Spirit inside you. A lot of people like to quote 1 Timothy 6.12, talks about fighting the good fight. You need to fight the good fight, fight the good fight. And everybody leaves the last part of that off. What is the last part of fight the good fight? Of faith, right? What's, what's faith, faith in what? Faith in Jesus. When you fight the good fight, the good fight is from Christ. The good fight has already been won. So the fight you fight is a pretty bold fight where you can look at your enemies and you can say, I, I, even though I am afraid, I can step out. Why? Because I know that my God has already defeated all of my enemies. Listen, I can, and I hate to, to interject us in this story, but it is what it is. I can 100% relate to Gideon. I don't know if you can. Because when he says, you don't understand, pardon me? You know, every, every time God has asked me to do something, asked me to step out in something, even with all what we've been talking about with this adventurous life and doing some of these outreaches and going, you know, I, we desire that. I think we all desire it. That's why we love Marvel movies with the superhero. We need conflict. There's no good story without conflict. Any writer will tell you, you need, you need something. And we all desire that because that's the way you were created. You were created for an adventurous life. You weren't created to try to belittle each other and passive-aggressively break each other down. It's not what you're created for. It says it in Galatians. That's going to destroy one another. What happened to the, to the armies? Brumbaugh just said they just destroy each other. When we begin to break each other down, you just bite and gnaw at each other, and it brings everybody else down. Be very careful. Well, yeah. Right. Well, you, you not only that, you, not only that, you don't, you, you cease to give blessings, and those blessings cease to come back to you. Just like when I was just joking, I was just like, well, you got to, you're shooting a new gun, so, well, you are too. I was like, well, you're right. I'm, and that actually made me feel good. Like, I guess I'm a pretty good shot. I am shooting a brand new gun. I felt good about that, right? When, when you recognize, and this is, this is just, that was just one instance that happened to happen yesterday, happened to happen. This happens all the time in your life. You're around people all the time. I don't know if you realize this. You're around people all the time. In, in some of these instances, you, you're, the, you're the kind of Gideon in this story. You need someone to say you're a warrior. And sometimes someone else is, and they need to know that they're a warrior. They say, well, you don't understand. P pardon me, right? No, you are. This is what you are. So we talk about an oak tree, you know, what does an oak tree have? What are the seeds called? Acorns? Yeah. An acorn is an oak tree, right? It is. 
It's not reached its full potential yet, but it's an oak tree. There's an oak tree in there. You can call it an oak tree because it's going to happen. The same way when you, this is what frustrates me about people when we talk about fruit. Yes, it's not up to us to count other people's fruit. It's, us, it's up to us to call people who they really are. <laughs> Fruity. <laughs> I'm just kidding. To call people, <laughs> to call people warriors and to call people to call life into people or draw that out of them, I guess is a better way to put it. When you see someone and they're not producing fruit, you just need to keep telling them they're a tree. <laughs> you don't need to say, you need to produce more fruit because what's that's, that's going to put the mask on of hypocrisy and religion. When you say, you're not producing enough fruit, then they're going to say, well, I need to produce more fruit. That's not what Gideon did. Gideon said, okay, well, you say this, but I'm going to do this. Same way Jesus said, you know, you're doing it with a sword, but I'm going to do it a different way. Gideon saying, no, I'm going to listen with the Lord. The Lord saying, I am going to do this. And he listened to what he said, and he just, that's all, that was it. It was as simple as that. I mean, what an amazing thing that we have. God, it just blows my mind every time I think about it, that they only got little glimpses of God, and you have him all the time, 24-7. When you're at work, when you're around friends, when you're around family, you have access to the Holy Spirit. You have access to the supernatural. <laughs> you're born again is the most supernatural. You being born again is the most supernatural thing that could ever happen. You were born again into eternal life. If you don't believe in the supernatural, you, do you really believe that you were born again? Is anybody afraid of failure? I am, right? Why are we afraid of failure? Y'all can talk. Why are we afraid of failure? Yeah? What's another reason? Yeah, but what, what, there you go. That. Failure attacks your identity. I, if I identify as a good programmer and I write a buggy program, then I have attacked myself. I have torn myself down. I am no longer a good programmer. I'm a crappy programmer. If I'm a crappy programmer, I'm a crappy person. I probably shouldn't even be in church around all you people. <laughs> They're too holy for me. Man, to I who? can't even believe I did that. Okay, but to who? I'm sorry? To who? To who? Who are you a crappy programmer to? The world. Everybody. Right. I mean, that's the feeling. I mean, right. obviously. No, no, you're, that's dead on. That's what I was looking for. You get us. You know, you can fail your expectations. Yeah. When that happens, then, of course, it's crushing. Those are the worst. Unless God comes in and resets for you. Mm-hmm. God resets in your life. And I've myself, oh, yeah. you know, with six children and ten grandchildren, and one of them's in an asylum now. Literally, they moved. I didn't get a completely, you know, a break with reality. Just like you. Well, that's temporary. Well, you know, it. We hope so. It doesn't feel Recently, temporary but right I now, right? I reset my mind every time you take a look. Times. Yeah. Some things will be pretty devastating. Some things may not be. They can be little hits, like like BBs and pellets. Some of them are a nine millimeter. Some of them are forty. Some of them are a fifty caliber Desert Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No mic like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> when I look at things like that and in my own life, it's like, and just literally, 
lost a, a young girl that used to work for me, 30 years old. She had a cancer, five weeks start to finish. I had to reset my mind. Yeah. Faith. I couldn't understand it. How that happens. Let me just catch up. Yeah. Last year, and yeah, we have to reset. And and thank God, He gives us. Yeah, and I can and I'll reiterate that for me personally too. There have been several things in the past year or so that have have kind of taken a hit with me, as far as as struggling with identity too, and so a lot of changes with job and different things like that, and, and understanding where I fit in all of this. And and going back to identity, in some of those instances, even with our kids, you feel like our kids, our, my kids I know are growing up, it feels, and everybody knows this, it feels like they're growing up really fast. And there have been moments, and I shared some with you even a couple Sundays ago, I feel out of control, right? And I feel like I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do, right? And that attacks my identity as a father. Have I messed up? Have I not done enough? Not you, you're a great father. See, she's saying, good father, good, good father. So <laughs> so what, what that does, just like you were saying, it attacks my identity, and it begins to make me question myself, have I done what I was supposed to do? And I think when we, when we do have a hope that's greater than even our own understanding, that's what the Bible tells us, that it's, we, we have, sometimes we have to give up even our own understanding to know that he's got something greater. When some of these seeds have been planted that have given me a, a, a reset, a renewed passion for, for ministry and how we do things, that's all God. That's not, that's not me trying to come up with ideas. That's God showing me that he was even in all the bad stuff, all the stuff that didn't seem like it was going the way that it should have been. He was even in that. And even in that, he was directing our steps. And that is totally supernatural. That is totally huge outside of my understanding because I was involved in it and I, I made mistakes, you know, I may have made some successful decisions or some good decisions, but I made mistakes in the midst of that. And through that journey, he was with me the whole time. And he, he guided me each time. Each time I made a mistake, he helped me. And without that, I mean, there, there is no hope. We will we'll all at some point naturally gravitate towards things that are comfortable, Right? Things that we think that are safe, quote unquote safe. I love the whole Aslan thing. Y'all have seen, he says, you know, is the lion safe? And he goes, no, <laughs> he's not safe, but he is good, right? This adventurous lifestyle that the Lord has been stirring in me is not necessarily a safe one. I mean, it's not, but God is good. <laughs> and I know that if he is leading and he is guiding my steps and he's guiding our steps as a church body, then we're good. I, I, and it's gonna, take, it's gonna take a little bit of pulling and a little bit of stepping out for us to see it sometimes. Because if, think about this, if we didn't need God, you know, if we could do all this on our own, what do we even need God for, right? I mean, if we were just gonna create programs and have, you know, car shows or whatever we're gonna do, if we're just gonna do this, then what do we even need God for at all, right? Something, this, this is cool because this is, 
And I say this all the time, that we don't plan this stuff between worship and me and even youth. In youth, they've been talking about hearing the voice of God. I didn't tell them to teach that. We haven't communicated much about it. I've just been watching from a distance and hanging out up there every once in a while. And the, the, the theme that's been going through is matching the theme that we're doing here, that, that's going on in here, is stepping out. It's stepping out. How do you hear God? Well, you try. What if you make a mistake? You try again. How will you ever learn if you don't make a mistake? Brian posted something in a little group that we have with some of the high school students that said, uh, and I'll probably butcher this quote, it was something about baseball. It said, how do you learn to hit a, hit a baseball? Do you read a bunch of books about hitting baseballs? No, you swing and miss a lot, right? It takes practice and it takes understanding how this works. It's the same thing with understanding, hearing God's voice and ministry around the people that are around you. You have to step out sometimes and say some things and do some things and trip up and may hurt your reputation a little bit. But who, who are you looking for to impress? If, if it's, if it's, and I, I used to tell these kids all this, all, I used to tell the kids this all the time when I was a youth pastor, don't put, don't put too much faith in your personality. Because my personality has, resets, talk about resets, my personality has changed over the years. My, especially through, and if you've, if you've been married and through, uh, through kids, I'll never do this, I'll never do that. You stop saying that. Because it's almost like an ongoing joke with God. He remembers all those things you said you'd never do. And he's like, oh, that's, that's cute. That's sweet. And I think he does it out of fun. I think, I, I think he does because he's got, I've got a sense. Yeah, I've got a sense of humor. He's got a sense of humor. He created me, so it must be true. So I think all those things I said I would never say. And I'll tell you, even with the whole acid reflux, I used to make fun of all those acid reflux videos. Like, it's just heartburn. They're just making up a new word, so they'll sell you some, some pills. And then I got acid reflux. Aha. Uh-huh. And then same thing with, like, uh, migraines. I would always joke around. I would have friends with migraines. I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. Let's go ride jet skis, you know. And then I got a migraine. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not what I thought it was. That's, I thought it was just a headache, a real bad headache. And then I'm under the covers, you know, crying. Oh, my bad. I think, I think, I think God does that to show us, hey, <laughs> shut up. Sometimes you say some stupid stuff. <laughs> and let's end on that and let's pray. <laughs> But here's the thing. I found this quote somewhere on the internet, <laughs> so it's got to be true. It says, Mis- it says, mismanaged success is the leading cause of failure. Well-managed failure is the leading cause of success. Let's say it again. Mismanaged, mismanaged success is the leading cause of failure. Mismanaged failure is the leading cause of success. So what we have to do is we have to understand that you're going you're gonna to drop the ball sometimes. You're going to mess up. You're going to trip up. You're going to embarrass yourself maybe here or there. But it, in, in the long run, it's going to be a much, a much greater and more adventurous life, living it from Christ, not from your own abilities. If you're depending on yourself, you're going to, you're going to fail a lot more. I mean, you are, because it's the nature of who we are. But if you're depending on the Lord, you're going to see him show up. And sometimes you have to step out to see that. Sometimes you have to actually move, <laughs> move around. You can't stay in the crevasse. <laughs> it's a ditch. I just like saying crevasse, it's crevasse. Sometimes you have to say, okay, well, God's calling me to do this, so I'm going to do this. This is, this is what I hear from the Lord for me to do, and I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to try it. And if you drop the ball, if you mess up, and you go, okay, well, maybe that wasn't it, or, or maybe I need to adjust, right? I need to step this way. This is why the Lord guides our steps. We make our plans. The Lord's like, well, <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> you made your plans. Let me, let, me, let me help you. Let me walk with you. Let me talk to you. Let me listen. Let you do the same.
talk, listen, hear, see. He didn't give you senses just, just for enjoyment, but he gave you senses so that you could see the people around you that need him. Going all the way back to, I just want to kind of wrap up with this. I know we're a little bit over. Um, Judges 6.16 says, I will be with you. This is God speaking. I think it's the most important, of that, important part of that story. I will be with you. Same thing he told us when he told us to go out. I will be with you to the end of the age, to the ends of the earth. You go, but I will be with you always. He even said, I, I don't seek that you are taken out of this world, but that you stay in it. But don't be afraid. You know, it's the, the, the greatest command, really, or the, the command that is throughout Scripture more than any other is don't be afraid. Why would he say that? Because he knew that we would be afraid. Why would he say it so many times? He knew that we would be afraid. He knew that we would be scared of these things. And he knew that what fear breeds, just like David was saying. Don't be afraid. All right, stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys. Lord, I just thank you that we can be honest with you. I thank you that we can come to you with our frustrations, with our anger, with our doubt, with our questions, just like Gideon was asking those questions. Where are you? Why? Why are you doing these things? And he was real with you and you were real with him. And I thank you that you don't just visit us by way of angels now, but you reside in us. You make your house in our heart. Lord, I thank you that we can go to you at any moment of any day, not just in this church, but in our cars, in our houses, in our homes, with our friends, with our family, that we can communicate with you. Your word says to pray without ceasing. So, Lord, we just continually have communion with you. We continually pray, and we listen, and we hear, and we see. Lord, help us to, to stretch our muscles a little bit. Lord, we just want to practice. We just want to go out and we want to hear your voice and want to see your face. And we want to recognize those that are around us that need you. Lord, thank you that it's, it can feel scary at times, but Lord, the joy that you bring when you show up is so much greater. Lord, it's so much greater when we see you working in our lives. We feel so much happier. We feel so much more purpose. And we just desire more and more. So Lord, thank you that you go before us and you're behind us and you're all around us and you're inside us, Lord. And uh, you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.